Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you much indeed, and I'm also very glad to get my first taste of this remarkable week. You have built a platform over these many years, which I think uh, is also a springboard as we come together tonight to consider what is our response to what God is doing all over the world. And in particular tonight, from all the different agencies that we come from, from all the different congregations, from all the different backgrounds, we are united in our commitment to pray. There are lots of connections. This week, in our own church, in the city centre in Edinburgh, is the week of 24-7 prayer. So I'm pleased to share this with you. There are lots of connections, you might not know them, between Northern Ireland and Egypt. Not the least of which is that the night begins at about 10 p.m. And that's good for 24-7 praying. One of the more uh, interesting and frankly hilarious moments of the revolution in Egypt uh, over three years ago now was when the new Muslim Brotherhood regime made a rule that all shops and cafes should shut after 10 p.m. Well, the Egyptians found many ways to get round that, shrugging their shoulders and uh, fending off that particular law. They know what it is to live through the night, and the Christians know what it is to pray through the night. We've been hearing about being called to pray, but I'm wondering if there won't be moments on those cold Tuesday nights when you know you should pray, but you might be asking, well, what should I pray? And I want to share with you some of the lessons that our brothers and sisters from different parts of the Middle East are learning in prayer as they are responding to everything that is going on around them. And I want to do that with the help of the incident in Acts chapter 4. If you would like to follow it, please turn to page 1099 of the Bibles in front of you. Page 1099. I could talk about the energy. I could talk about the depth of feeling, the heartfelt repentance along the lines of something like Daniel chapter 9. I could talk about the appeal for God's mercy and grace that is coming from the hearts of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East. I could talk about the way people and churches who frankly were not very together have come together in order to pray and to witness into their new regimes. They've moved from fighting to friendship And they've come together, as this image shows, 
in their thousands. This is one of the cave churches in the city where rubbish is recycled. 10,000 in this one alone. And when people are called to pray, they come together like this. But I want to use this incident, this passage, as a framework here. And I want to read just from verse 23 to 31. You know the story, Peter and John have been out and about. They've been debating and praying for people. Someone got healed. Then the trouble began. And now they're in front of the authorities, being examined by them. Then, because the authorities, frankly, don't know what to do with them, they are released. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests And the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I wonder, do you see what is happening here? First and foremost, if you have time later to read through the background to this, look for verse 12. Under pressure... Priorities become clear. Salvation found in no one else. That's their declaration. That is ours. Judge for yourselves. What shall we do? Listen to the authorities or listen to God? In this case, the answer is perfectly clear. And as these people come back, the first thing they do once they hit the pressure, once they are released, is that they come back to the church. 
They report what has happened and they pray together in response as they face the reality of the situation. And the reality of the situation is severe for our brothers and sisters throughout the Middle East right now. There is pressure in every part of the region, Syria and Lebanon and Jordan. The sheer overwhelming of numbers in these small population countries. Syria continues to be torn apart by civil war and behind every street battle are a number of nations sitting on the shoulders of the fighters. Many displaced people have moved to Jordan. Many have gone across to Lebanon. You've seen some of these images and you've heard some of the stories. The churches in these countries have had to make a journey. And for some, it's been a long journey from, frankly, resentment. Oh, no, here they come again. Another wave of people getting the world's attention. And we are supposed to do something, but we can't. We're too small. We hide. We want to keep away. And then somehow they've prayed and they've begun to see that God is in these movements. It is God who is moving people around, as well as human wickedness. And once they recognize that God is in it, they find themselves empowered to respond to what is going on in Lebanon and Jordan, practically and spiritually. The pattern has been repeated in Iraqi Kurdistan and in northern Iraq in these last months. Again, people overwhelmed by violence, people overwhelmed by movements, people from all kinds of backgrounds on the move. We have colleagues and friends who work in Erbil in northern Iraq, and one leads the work of one of the Bible societies there. And they are responding to those who are coming. Physically, yes, but people are coming and saying, we know about getting blankets, we know about getting tents. Will you pray with us? Yes, we will. Can we have God's word in our hands? Yes, we will give this to you. They have responded to the pressure by reaching out in prayer and giving out scripture to those who have come. Egypt, uh, after all its turmoil, here is Bishop Munir, who leads the Anglican Church in Egypt, uh, North Africa, and the Horn of Africa, one of those smaller Anglican dioceses. That, uh, and uh, here in Egypt, uh, perhaps rather strangely, after all the ups and downs of these last few years, it's now again a slightly more stable place. All sorts of things are happening there. Since I spoke about time earlier on, I gather recently that the new president is insisting that all government ministers start work at 7 a.m. in Egypt. You could never imagine that before. It's remarkable. They're trying to get to grips with the situation. And as the Egyptian Christians come together 
to respond to the overwhelming political situation in their country and the overwhelmings going on around them, they have responded by praying together. By the way, Egypt is used to welcoming displaced people. Sudanese refugees in large numbers have found their home in Egypt for the time being. Now, Syrians are coming. And the standout image for Egyptian Christians is uh, often the image of Mary and Joseph and baby young Jesus on their donkey coming into Egypt with the pyramids in the background to make sure you never forget that it was in Egypt that they were welcome. It was in Egypt that they found a safe place, a place to grow and a place to develop, a place for Jesus himself to prepare one day to return to his ministry. Egypt is used to welcoming refugees. By the way, Bishop Munir's leadership was so striking in that context. He said to all of us in the churches and the agencies, I want you to have three priorities. First, in a culture where you're not supposed to share your faith, you're 10% Christians, you're supposed to keep it to yourself with the 90% Muslim community around you, I want you to share your faith. That's my first priority for you, says the bishop. In order to share your faith, you must know your faith. So I want you to deepen your understanding, to grow in discipleship. But in our culture, just sharing your faith and knowing your faith won't be enough. You have to do what he calls mission. You have to show your faith in caring for people and people who others do not care for without fear or favor. I want to say that is impressive leadership. I'd settle for that in any church network. But here's what he said a little while ago, reflecting on some of the things that have been happening in Egypt, the bloodshed, the vandalism, the destruction. This time last year, many churches were burned. The economy is in trouble. And although tourism is just beginning to emerge a little bit better, he says, still it's a really difficult time for that country. Yet see how he reads the pressure. This is a time of gospel opportunity. He is taking the pressure as a time to respond in witness to Christ. Why? Many people are asking questions. Even before we left the cathedral this time last year, to come and to be based back in Scotland and to travel from there in this phase of our life. People were coming to the cathedral and coming to other churches before they had only responded to satellite broadcasts, and you'll hear from Terry tomorrow, or responded by email to some of the materials going out, or texts, or tweets. But now they've started to come face to face. If this is what our inherited religion is doing, we don't buy it anymore. 
You tell us something different. You tell us your story for yourselves. We've heard what you Christians are supposed to believe. Please show us yourselves what you believe. Many are asking questions and wanting to find out more about Christ. Peter and John came first back to the church. That was their instinct, to tell the story. And instinctively we see that the church responds by prayer. Once they've heard the story, their automatic reaction is to turn to prayer. I I think that means they had grown a prayer culture together. It wasn't just a meeting. It wasn't just a special evening. But it was an instinctive culture that they had grown. And what do they pray? Do they pray for release? Do they pray for protection? Do they pray that somehow God will keep their leaders safe? Do they pray that God will make their life easier? No. They pray for boldness to continue to speak God's word out. And more than that, they pray that God will do what only God can do and underline, if you like, their testimony and their witness by touching and by transforming and by changing people's lives. Oh God, come and move as we speak out your world. Here's the words they use. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. By the end of this little incident, and I love that last verse, by the way, that when they pray, the building gets shaken. It's a mini earthquake. Uh, We have them in the Middle East. I can remember waking up at five o'clock in a conference in Turkey, wondering why the bed was moving around, and realizing that I was on the fifth floor and it was an earthquake. It's quite a feeling if you've never had it. It's as if God is saying, I am so delighted that they prayed this. I am so pleased I'm going to shake the place. Because that's the kind of praying I love to hear. That's the kind of thing I love to answer. That's the kind of gift I love to give. These are the people that I want on my side. People who will pray like this. But do you see that something else has happened From verse 23 through to verse 31, there's been a very significant shift. In verse 23, they pray for Peter and for John, their leaders, their representatives. And of course, that's the right thing to pray for. Those who speak out, those who are involved in public debate, those who are involved in leading our witness, those who are involved in engagement with culture, we pray for them. But do you see what has now happened? 
by the end, they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they are all given boldness to speak. That is a remarkable transition. Whenever I visit, whenever I spend time with friends in the region, in churches or agencies, at conferences or events. I'm always listening. What scripture are they reading? What are they making of it? And this is one of the ones that they are reading. They bring their situation before the Lord. They know, by the way, that the Lord is sovereign, that the Lord is in charge of their world, even though the evidence doesn't look like it much of the time. They quoted Psalm 2. Did you notice that? Psalm 1 is the great introduction to the Psalms from a personal point of view. Here are two ways to live. Which way will you live? Will you base your life on the Lord's ways or will you go your own ways? But Psalm 2 is also an introduction to the Psalms. It's the global introduction. The nations are raging. The Lord is laughing. And he is working his purpose out. Now, Lord, give us your boldness that we will not fail to speak and back us up so that everyone will know that it is you at work and that you are the good God. You are the merciful God. You are the God who touches and changes and transforms lives. I think tonight we are agreed that we need to pray. (laughs) And maybe this evening now, we have something in our hands for those Tuesday nights when we're not quite sure where to turn. Of course, so much of Scripture gives us how to pray. Here is a a powerful indicator from our friends in the Middle East, how to pray. Many, of course, are frightened. Many, of course, have been displaced. Many, of course, are in great need. Many have concluded that there is no future where they live and they should emigrate as quickly as they can. But those who are staying are praying like this. Let us join with them. Let us desire the same. Let us seek God to keep doing this amongst our brothers and sisters in the Middle East however things will turn out. And let us learn from them how to pray for ourselves here in Northern Ireland at a time like this. Amen? Now, I'm a bit nervous talking about prayer without praying. So let us pray. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And you spoke, yes, through the mouth of your servant David, through the Lord Jesus Christ supremely, by your Holy Spirit, and by this word that we have read together tonight. Lord, we do pray for our brothers and sisters under such pressure. We pray, Lord, that you will pour out your spirit upon them, comfort and strengthen and heal them. 
And Lord, give to them the boldness to speak. May they point faithfully to the Lord Jesus who reveals supremely the truth about God. And may many come, may many find their questions answered in Christ. And may your people be faithful. And Lord, for us, we pray that we too will be faithful, that we too will be bold, that you will also back up our testimony, and that through this amazing week, you will show us how you would have us play our part in what you are doing. We pray for the honor of Jesus' name. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.